Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 185. This episode is with the lead academy sports scientist at Rangers, David Guest. And to be honest, this is one of the reasons that I started the podcast way back when, because these are conversations that I've took plenty from alone, and I'm sure you will as well, but probably conversations that are less likely to happen without the podcast. So I really enjoyed this chat with David. He's got um, some great experience, both as an athlete and as a coach, to, to talk about. And he covers some great stuff in this episode, so I hope you really enjoy it. We talked about some of the differences between the English and Scottish academies. We talked about some of the impact that he's had so far at the club, building culture. We talked about movement competency, how that leads into his programming of strength. And then we also touched on his PhD as well. So loads of great stuff in this one with David. Um, so yeah, I hope you take plenty from it as I did. Just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that came out to our meeting at UA92. We had um, a really good showing on the night. There was um, coaches from all different clubs and then two brilliant presentations from Dr. Lee Harrington and also Christi Christian Fernandez as well based around knee injuries. Some great insights from both of the guys. So I really appreciate them presenting. Those presentations are going to be available on our, on our community to watch back as well. And I'm just in the process of trying to confirm the next few events. So I'll get that information to you as soon as possible. We've got some really exciting venues, clubs, speakers lined up. And it's just a case of just getting things confirmed now. So as soon as they have more information on where they will be, um, the dates, the times and all the rest of it, I will let you know. But we've got nothing else in the diary just yet, but we're very close to the next few meetings being confirmed. Just before we get into the podcast, I just want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors. First off, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a check on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle. Continually seeking your highest performance in the gym on the pitch, at home, and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best, and Black Box has you covered. So go and check them out on social media, at BLK Box Fitness. And then special thank you to Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game-style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. And anyone that was at our meeting at UA92 as well, you'd have seen the technology that Rezzle have available. And so I know some of you had a go on it as well. Um, and yeah, there's some great stuff being done by Rezzle as well. So go and check them out on social media at Rezzle, R-E-Z-I-L. And then just finally, a huge, huge thank you to our newest sponsors, Hytro. Have you tried Hytro? The wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in players. While many may have used BFR for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used after competition or training. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts, delivering BFR to groups of players safely and more conveniently than ever before. So go and check them out uh, at their website, hytro.com or you can email Warren Bradley he's warren at hytro.com 
and Warren has previously been on the podcast as well, so you can go back and listen to the episode with him. But Hytro, again, another company doing some brilliant stuff, and their, their kit, their clothing is absolutely top class, so go and check it out. Let's get into the podcast now. Episode 185 with the lead academy sports scientist at Rangers, David Guest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 185. I'm delighted to be joined today by David Guest, Lead Academy Sports Scientist at Rangers. David, how are we doing? Thanks very much for having us. Uh, Very well, thank you. Good, man. Thank you for coming on. Um, It'll be great to catch up. We were just talking then that we've got loads of stuff we want to cover. So we'll see what we can fit into the podcast. And maybe they, maybe even before we started, there might be a part two lined up. <laughs> well, we'll see how we go. Um, well, David, kick us off like we always do. It's always good to hear about your background, your story that's led up to your role now. So do you, do you want to take us through that to start with? Yeah, so I think my background probably, I'll probably just preface it and say that if I was to look back sort of 12 years ago when I was sort of 18, starting out, starting out in university and and just where I thought my career was going to go and where I'd end up being probably just never thought like even for one second that I'd be doing what I'm doing now so um kind of a long journey a bit of a bit of a a bit of a few different directions that I've taken but I think certainly it's helped us helped us um become the sort of practitioner that I am now now that now that I've got here so um start out um if I if I started back from then, so when I was 18, um, I was a, I was a decathlete. So competing sort of to a reasonably high level, I'd, um, in 20, in 2010, I'd actually, um, competed in a GB competition in, in Bonpass in France, broke the GB indoor heptathlon record, broke the current world record holder. Um, Kevin May actually beat him in a combination when I was competing. Um, went to the outdoor season, ranked world number one for the junior uh, for the junior decathlon. Uh, finished fourth in the in the world juniors that year. Um, I was based based down in Cardiff, so that that's where I grew up. Um, and then sort of that summer then transferred from from Cardiff Met, where I started my first year of uni, moved to Loughborough. So I actually met my um, my wife when we were competing in the world juniors in Canada. So moved across there and it worked quite well because we, we were sort of just started going out. We, um, we were both on funding. So both on UK athletics funding and just, but it probably didn't take too long until things, I wouldn't say unraveled, but like both had a few injuries and we both went from being quite good promising juniors on that sort of um, UK athletics funding track to, to sort of go on and kick on towards world championships, Olympic Games. Th- those were our aims, really. But I think when you drop out of that funding circle, it it becomes quite difficult. There's there's not really a lot of sports. So you have to you have to go and get a job, and you have to kind of support yourself that way. So for the decathlon, I was basically training sort of four or five hours a day. I was I was coaching. I ended up coaching her as well because. I'd had all my UK athletics coaches and then for one reason or other, I ended up coaching myself at 20, coaching her as well. And then I had my own little sprint group as well, which um, I was doing for the uni as well. So pretty much six, seven hours a day, I was down the track and that was, that was all I wanted to do. So I was 
I was still doing my my undergrad degree, but it was almost it was almost like just on the side kind of thing. Didn't didn't particularly enjoy. Didn't really want to be involved in it, but sort of knew that it was good to sort of have. Um, and and yeah, like just just almost struggled for the next couple of years. Um, didn't really didn't really do anything myself in terms of competing because again injuries injuries just sort of stunted that ended up having to tendon injuries and then going having like a broken foot and then and then I couldn't take over in the pole vault. So just one thing after another um, until 2014 when finally got everything going again. Qualified for the Commonwealth Games came eighth. Um, the work that I've been obviously doing with my wife up until that point, um, she ended up getting a Commonwealth bronze medal. Um, graduated from Loughborough University then in that summer. So by 2014, I was I was in a situation where I'd, I'd finished I'd finished my degree. I was, didn't actually get any recognition, any any sort of funding coming off the back of the Commonwealth Games, and I was I was a little bit lost almost. I was a little bit like not really sure what to do now. Wanted to be a coach, spent all my time down there. Had had some reasonable, obviously, success with, with myself and then with my wife. But I think maybe just the fact that I was young, maybe the fact that I was competing myself as well, probably didn't go in my favour. So we ended up moving back to where she's from, up in Newcastle. And um, for one reason or another, I ended up getting a job in a builder's mission. So completely different, um, something completely different, but working in sales. Ended up doing that for three years and I enjoyed it. I think sales is obviously quite a, a good environment because it's, because it's competitive. So having those targets, trying to trying to build relationships with, with customers, trying to um, win those big contracts, that was quite exciting. But in the end, it wasn't, it wasn't really for me. I think just having that experience as an athlete, having that experience working in sport, I just really wanted to get back into it, but I didn't, didn't quite know how. So I had a bit of a break in must have been 20, 2017, 2018. Went on a, a big holiday, went to propose that's when I proposed to my wife um in New York. We then went to Sydney and New Zealand, had a bit of a break and just had a bit of a bit of a clear headspace and just thought like I almost need to make a change now, otherwise I'm gonna end up being further down the road and then it's gonna be more difficult. So um I'd always said that I was never gonna go back to uni. Like when I finished my undergrad, I was like, that, that, that is me done. Like, I'm not an academic in any way. So I did a bit of research. Um, sort of came to the conclusion quite quickly that that was something that I, would, that I would have to do. But I also would need to get experience as well at the same time. So I think some of the things that I came across at the time was Nick Grantham's book, You're Hired, Steve Ingham's Let's the 15,000, just looking at a few just job adverts that I was sort of interested in at the time. So did my uh, master's in strength and conditioning part-time. So that first year, just really trying to get as much experience as possible. So I ended up getting a placement in, at Newcastle United, just primarily went with the 18s. There was a private academy that I worked at as well. So some of the Newcastle United first team players, they set up a, a private academy. So I led on that under 17 boys strength and conditioning um, I got some sort of like volunteer roles at the uni as well so working with um, men's men's rugby union men's rugby league women's basketball um, some sport development roles um, I was then also doing some part-time work to sort of pay for things um, 
life and so on. So uh, I was doing some athlete mentoring for Brazil Legs. I was doing some anti-doping education as well. And then I was also going in, into schools for, for a company and talking about my experience as an athlete, taking kids through a, um, through a, like a fitness circuit almost. Um, so that was, that, that was pretty much my first year, just really just saying yes to everything. And I think that attitude of just, just knowing, knowing what I had to do prior just prepared me. Um, I knew it was going to be hard work for the next two years, but that goal of being able to work in something that I really enjoyed and something that I was really passionate about made it a lot easier, certainly. Um, and I think just that, that attitude of saying yes, that also led on to other stuff as well. So I was quite lucky that on my course as well, the head coach for Newcastle basketball team, so Newcastle Eagles, Fabulous Flanoy, he actually, um, he's actually out in, uh, in Toronto now working in the NBA. But he was in my class and we just got talking and, and obviously must have had some sad interest. He he actually brought me in to um, work with the, um, do the strength and conditioning for, for their men's team because they didn't actually have anybody at, at the time. They sort of gone from EIS sport to then not really having too much. Um, and then also the assistant strength and conditioning coach at Northumbria, she was working in a private gym and she just said, you'd be interested in some part-time work so ended up working in a private gym as well so that first year I I basically worked with males I worked with females I worked with youth athletes I worked with university level athletes I worked with senior athletes I worked with disability athletes within the sport development stuff so just really trying to get as bigger and as broader background as as possible so that if there was something that I particularly liked or something that I, that I really wanted to go into I would have that experience then to then be able to fall back on um so that was pretty much my first year, and but the but the biggest probably shock to me was that I was actually doing quite well in my in my masters as well. So I ended up getting a distinction at the end of my first year, and I was like, "Wow, like I'm actually really enjoying this, like to start with." But then maybe there's potential to maybe even kick on because it's 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 almost so competitive. Like I'm in a class here with twenty you know twenty other guys and girls, and then there's all the other courses. All throughout the UK, like it's it it is super competitive for roles. So maybe maybe um, maybe I can potentially push this on. So there was an advert um, for a PhD role and sports scientist role at Liverpool, and I remember thinking, speaking to my course leader and then head of SNC, Joel Branningham, Joel Branningham at the time, and just saying, what do I sort of need to do now in this next year to to be able be able to be be in a position to apply for this role um, and then potentially even get it so did my cv um or, or maybe reject maybe just reject a few things around um focused in on more research side so dropped a little bit more of the work so i really just dropped everything down to my part-time work um, i took i started coaching the Newcastle ladies first team as well that was through the uni and then just pretty much just try to get involved with as much research products projects as possible so working with all the PhD students um, work with as many lecturers as possible just trying to really try and get a bit of experience in that didn't really think of too much of the Liverpool role but I did I did apply for it but didn't really expect to hear too much from it um, but then about probably 
it was quite strange, probably about five, six months later, ended up getting an, an email saying, would you like to come for an interview? So did the interview, Jack Addy um, and Barry Just went quite well, got through to the next round where we were going to meet um, at Annabelle Training Ground. And there was basically there was two roles. I think three of us were going for it or were going for those two roles. Ended up falling through, I think, well, just purely because of COVID, right? Just everything sort of came to a halt from there. But maybe I'd impress Barry or, or certainly enough to, for, him to re- for him to be interested in um, in working with me. So he actually had a role lined up at uh, somewhere in Glasgow. I didn't really know where, but Jack sort of, he gave me the bad news. He, sort of, he said, we're not, we're not proceeding with this role, but Barry might have something up in Glasgow. Like, would you be interested? And I have no idea what it is, but I'm almost like, I'm just like, yes, I would love to know more. And then again, didn't hear back for another three or four months, finished my dissertation and then got a call from Jamie Ramsden, head of performance at, at Rangers. Would you like to come for an interview? Um, PhD lead on the, on the, uh, on, on the, on the, youth, on the youth development phase. So went up there and I think just instantly I was like, this is the place for me. Like this, this is, this is hundred percent like what I've been working so hard to, to try and get. Um, did some research on the academy manager as well. And just everything that he was sort of saying was like, this sort of aligns with, with my sort of values like this, this, this is somewhere that I can see myself really enjoying working. Um, and I remember one of the, one of the things that he said to me when I, when I got the job was, what are you going to do when you, when you come in that that's going to be different? So what are you, what are you going to bring to the role that's different? Um, he, and he gave an example of one of the, um, of the under 18s coach Campbell about how he, how within his research, he, he changed, changed him within his team. And I was just thinking at the time, like, well, that's like a big challenge, but actually like the, the amount of things that I've been through and, and the sort of journey that I've had is, is almost quite unique to me. So, um, no, it's been, it's been a good ride. I've, I've been here about 18 months now and, um, yeah, absolutely love it. It's brilliant. What a fascinating insight. And I think you've just touched on something there that we've covered in previous episodes in terms of a lot of people don't go through that thought process that you've just mentioned around thinking about whether the club aligns with you. Because in that position, when you get offered, especially when it's a club like Rangers, massive club, people probably would skip that phase, wouldn't they? And just be like, I've got this opportunity. I'm going to do it. Um, without really thinking about whether it aligns. So the fact that, you, and this ties in with the last episode did with John Noonan and, and Josh Fletcher around values. I think it's really important to have your values and then and then check out places like that. Do your research. You can check out the academy manager, the coach you're going to work with, and then it gives you more of a background, doesn't it? I think that's really important for people to hear. Yeah, no, and, and I'd had a few sort of other other interviews and opportunities around the same time and the problem was that one was the first one so it was almost like I went to the other ones straight afterwards and I was thinking I know what I'm going to do like I'm going to go Rangers so it was almost like this is this is the perfect role and um, almost landed on my feet almost really yeah no no it's really interesting and you mentioned at the start as well um, around not expecting to be 
in this role, like far from it. Was that the fact that you were an athlete at that point and that was the sort of pathway that you saw yourself on or was it that you saw yourself as a coach but maybe not in football? Like what, what was the shock of, of uh, ended up in yeah, football? I think um, sport, definitely. I think um, having only really had a big... Growing up in South Wales, obviously rugby's a, rugby's a big sport. Not really into football in terms of my family. So that was never really on the agenda. Again, I think the university thing kind of put me off as well um, at the time. I'm not sure if, if I thought I wasn't smart enough, but definitely because I didn't apply myself because I was so interested elsewhere, that probably took away the opportunity to do well almost. Um, and then, yeah, just just my whole life was geared around athletics. Like this year, I would wake up in the morning and it would be, I'm going to have food, I'm going to go to the track and I'm going to come back, I'm going to have food, I'm going to go back to the track uh, and then I'm going to coach. And it's like, that was literally my whole life. So um, I think when I, when I finished athletics and was it 2015, like really early 2015, like pretty much shared with the Commonwealth, I was almost like, it's like a big identity crisis. It was like, what am I going to do now? Like, I haven't got a clue. So, yeah, like, to see where I am now is almost, like, I'm still shot myself, to be honest. But, um, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. This, and I think also I didn't really know much about strength and conditioning as well. I mean, I'd always enjoyed training. So the idea of getting fitter, faster, stronger, I think certainly the decathlon and athletics in general is quite a good background in that because you're in the gym, you're trying to get fitter. So, for example, the decathlon, you've got, you've got 100 meters, you, you've got the technical events, you've got the 400 meters, so you've got your speed endurance, you've got your, your 1500 meters, so you've got your more aerobic endurance exercises. But then you've also got all the work in the gym to get better at the shot uh, and the discus and the javelin. So certainly, like, it was a brilliant background. The actual coaching that I did gave me a good taste into, well, actually, I think I can be quite good at this. And then working in a builder's mission was almost like the best, the best background I could have had in terms of building relationships, in terms of with adults. And then working in schools was almost like, okay, well, I, I can actually use that experience as an athlete and then build those relationships with them with kids when I actually go into schools and, and can I engage with them? So, yeah, strange, strange how everything's almost lined up. Well, I think there's a lesson in there as well, isn't there, that you just, like you said before, you say yes to opportunities, you, you scatter yourself around all these different opportunities, working with different demographics, working in a sport like yours where you're covering so many different physical qualities, that's only going to put you in a good position when you do maybe niche down a little bit and go into a single sport like football or whatever it is, isn't it? So there's a lesson in there for younger coaches, again, isn't there, that you, you put yourself in these opportunities, even if you want to end up in football, even if you want to end up in rugby, whatever it is, to work in these different sports or with a sport like that or in completely other industries, you just got to take lessons along the way, haven't you? No, and, and just put everything into it, really, because you never really know how it's going to turn out. Like, I, I, I've I, gained things from every from every place that I've been, and every different internship was almost like a different a different learning curve. Like, rugby union is very different to rugby league within the university. The women's teams are very different. So just take a little bit and then... And also, you don't, you don't really know... You don't really know what's out there. Like, everyone has this sort of idea that first team football is like the Panchia, but actually like there are loads of other amazing places to go and work. And um, 
I think until you've actually been out there and experienced it, then then you'll never know, really. Yeah, 100%. Now, let's get into the role at Rangers. So moving up there, um, I want to just get into some of the differences to start with. So can you talk about some of the differences possibly from the Scottish academies to academies down here? Yeah. So when I was at Newcastle, it was it was... Was relatively straightforward in terms of squads would train, train together, right? I mean, it's relatively straightforward. Like, if you're the end of 14s and they'll train together. Whereas up here, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more broken. So every every squad will be broken down into generally like performance schools. So Rangers have their own performance school. I think there's a few other um, clubs uh, within Scotland. They've got their own performance schools, and they'll basically select players. At under 12, they'll in, they'll go through an interview process and they'll select players based on based on their ability first and foremost, but then also some of the some of the psychological characteristics as well. So just ju- just to make sure they're getting good people in as well, because obviously the, the character of the group, making sure that people will gel together, making sure people are generally good eggs. So they'll come in at um, under 13, and then from from under 13 within that youth development phase, 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s. They will, um, pardon me. They will, um, they'll have training that they'll be split up. So they'll train, for example, Buckler boys will train morning on a on a um, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then there are main acquisition days. They'll then train in the afternoon. So they'll they'll train they'll train twice on that Tuesday, Wednesday, but then we'll also have another group. So we would refer them to uh, as the evening group and they'll train generally in their own performance school so they'll be they'll be playing in the morning with boys from other academies and then they'll come in after our Bocler boys and train on their own so basically every day every group there's a number of different if you want to call it development models almost different activity levels different amounts of um different amounts of coaching so for example for Claire boys will get generally about 40 minutes on the morning on a, on a Tuesday Wednesday whereas performance school boys in the evening they'll get around two hours and then they'll come into us but Claire boys might get between an hour on a Tuesday and they might get um, towards two hours on a Wednesday whereas the evening boys they'll, 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 they'll train two, two hours on a Tuesday two hours on a Wednesday so Different amounts of coaching contact, different uh, obviously different players that they're playing with, different coaches that they're um, that they that they're working with. They'll also have different sessions as well because different coaches will have different sessions. They won't just repeat the same session. So already there's a lot of complexity. Mm. And then the only time that they'll actually train together will be on a on a, on a on a Tuesday, no, on a Thursday, Friday, on a match prep. So 13, 15s will train on a Thursday. They'll play on a Saturday. Um, 14 16s will train on a Friday they'll play on a Sunday so already you've got like completely different activity levels you've got um, different opportunities as well so for Claire boys because they finish a little bit earlier that might give them the potential the opportunity to go and do other sports as well so some of our younger Claire boys they might do one of them does boxing some of them, um, one of them has been doing athletics so completely different in terms of the actual working week and the first year that I came in I was actually leading every session so difficult to difficult to get your head around because the, 
there is so many there is so many sessions um most recently probably about the last six months um and the guy alex neil he's actually come in so that's been a great help so we've all we've almost split up the 13s 14s 15s 16s and we'll we'll do a sort of split shift so we'll go one of us will be in the morning one of us will then do that afternoon and evening session and then we'll we'll sort of flip it on said so um yeah um quite complicated and and probably for somebody who's who's not in that sort of environment it's, it's probably a, a little bit difficult to understand i think even guys who work with the 18s they're like don't clear what's going on but um yeah it's uh it certainly keeps you on your toes logistically it sounds like let's not pad facts it sounds like a bit of a nightmare but i imagine <laughs> i imagine there's a few benefits to it as well because we talk a lot on the podcast about obviously different age groups um and we know like maturity and, and growth is all different rates for different kids isn't it so mm-hmm. in a way without maybe going as extreme with that we are dealing with with kids at different stages anyway aren't we so the fact that you are you are having a, a mixed group i suppose it's not massively different um but what what about some positives from that as well is there anything that jump out in terms of like when clubs more, run more traditional academy models compared to what you do, is there anything that jumps out and like, well, this is actually a good thing that we can take from um, what the cards that we've been, we've been dealt? Yeah, I think I think originally when the when the sort of models were introduced, as if you like, so performance scores. The main idea behind it was just more contact time, right? So wanting more time actually um, getting getting in front of coaches, more time playing football, so. I think at the time when it was introduced, maybe just after the just just after the HLP, I think at, at the time it was quite big on in terms of that LTAD model where that ten thousand hour early specialization, like just just almost like that deliberate practice theory, right? Where they wanted them to have more contact time. I think I think certainly the performance school might struggle in terms of just the amount of time that they get, and certainly we don't. We don't have a great grasp on what they do there. I mean, we have a, we obviously have an idea. They are SFA coaches, so, so they're really, really well qualified coaches. But just in terms of when they come here, for example, on a Friday, some of the lads might have done two hours of football. They might have done two, three hours of PE, which, which in some cases actually true. And then they might do a match prep and train two hours as well. So within a day, they might be doing like sort of five, six, seven hours. So it's a lot of activity. And certainly the evening squads are a little bit harder to get your to get your head around, but I think what it's enabled us to do with the with the Buckler boys is 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 to really nail down on on what on what we're doing with them. So really nailing down in terms of uh, managing train load, um, really making sure that sessions are are very are very high quality. So a, a little bit less training time, but almost that um, the idea of little and often. So more sessions, but really high quality. Um, I think as well, one of the things that, that, that is really good with the, with the Buckler program is in the mornings when we go down, we will do like a, um, a physical IPT session. Well, no, we'll do an IPT session, right? Which is basically like individual drills and skills and, 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 and technical work. But within that, um, as a sports scientist, we'll, we'll actually have the opportunity to work within sort of ones and twos with players. And that's, and that's massive, right? Because most of the time you work with 20 players. So to be able to be able to actually work in in that small number um 
you can have that engagement where you can really give some detail, some detailed technical feedback. So I think the difference between most of the the um, the Buckler boys and the evening boys probably probably there is a bit of a difference in terms of some of their technical ability. So being aware of that, making sure that when you're in those sessions that um, because you do have a little bit more time with them because it's a two-hour session, whereas sometimes with the Buckler boys you might only have an hour. So making sure that you are sort of trying to balance it as good as as as, as best as you can. And then with the Buckler boys as well, because because again, like we've got a bit more control over that program, we'll go to the school on a on a Friday and we'll actually do multi-sport sessions. So trying to actually diversify a little bit, trying to actually give them more opportunities for, for more diverse movement. We'll um, introduce um, our weightlifting club as well. So actually we'll teach them Olympic lifts. So we'll go through all, all the progressions, all, all the regressions, all the um, of the cleans and, and the snatch. So actually we've only been doing it probably for about, well, it's been just under a year, probably, probably about nine months with a break for Christmas as well. And we've got 14-year-old boys now comfortably with quite a decent technique actually lifting like sort of 50, 55 kilos in a hand clean. So um, certainly there's, there's certainly benefits. Is it perfect? No. But I think people are aware of it as well. And I think hopefully one of the benefits, what might come out of my PhD as well, is once we've sort of, and I'll hopefully go through this a little bit more later, is once we once we actually understand what each group is doing in terms of their activity levels, we can actually then find out the impact of that. So what is the impact on performance? What is the impact on, on low competencies? What is the impact on actual their development as a footballer? And then can we put any 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 interventions in place to actually make some changes? So if we find that um, the evening boys are lacking in that movement competency, if we're finding that they are, um, for example, not quite as physically not quite as physically competent, can we put some interventions in place to actually to actually change that? Um, but yeah. Now I briefly mentioned at the start. The two presentations from our meeting at UA92 in Manchester are available to watch back on our online community. So if you weren't able to make it to the meeting or you weren't able to make it to previous meetings that we've done or future meetings, the presentations become available on our online platform to use, for you to watch back on demand. So Dr. Lee Harrington presented on early stage rehab for knee injuries and then Christian Fernandez um, rehab coach, um, he presented on the return to play after patellofemoral cartilage injury. So some really good presentations to watch back, some great applied stuff that you can use in, within your practice as well. So if you're a community member, go and check it out. Just log into the community and it's available in network meeting presentations tab on the community. If you're not, then the good news is you can sign up today and get yourself a free month on the community by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab, filling in the sign-up process there. That will give you one month free. And after the free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward as well. And you get continued access to everything that's on there right now, including all the network meeting presentations we've got coming up. And we've also got some really special webinars coming as well, which I'll give you a little bit more information about over the next few episodes. But yeah, community members, you're in for a few treats coming your way. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com 
click the community tab, sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with David Guest. So let's get into some of your um, some of the information around the PhD now as well, but also you I and mean, you might be able to tie this in a little bit too the approach that you took going into the club, maybe some of the early changes that you made as well. Yeah. So a PhD mainly does revolve around that sort of YDP group in terms of well, actually, like what are we doing with them? Like we don't really know, we don't really know their global activity. So in terms of their, their training load, what they're doing at the schools, what they're doing in terms of PE, how that affects what were they doing in terms of maybe extracurricular stuff, um, what they're doing then as a whole. So, for example, is there, is there, is there big differences between the Buckley boys and the evening boys? Um, getting engaged on sort of their global activity, so using things like accelerometers, using the actual, so we use player makers, so what, what they're actually doing within their, their sessions with us, what they're doing um, at the sessions within the performance school, um, giving them activity diaries to fill out, um, potentially using RPE as well. So again, that internal and external um, measures as well. And then once we've got that, we can sort of get an idea of obviously what they're doing and then progressing that into um, some of the outcomes. So we've got our, our obviously performance uh, performance tests. So speed tests of 10, 10 40, um, We've just got some some new force decks, so we'll go CMJ and we'll go isometric mid dipole. We've got um, an easy jump, so we'll go 10-5 um, RSI, and then we'll use a 30-15. We use 30-15 for the endurance, and then we'll also do a 505 as well. So that's that's the performance test. We also want to look at how they move as well. So some of the things that has come out recently from guys down in Cardiff Met, I believe, um, Ben Pullen. Um, they they've just done a, a recent narrative review based on the, the sort of motor competency tests that are available. So actually, in this environment, when you've got all those tests, you only get the squad together like once a week. So being really invasive with a with a full movement screen might might actually be quite tricky. So what they sort of, what they sort of suggest is. Um, Make it as simple as possible. Make it as efficient as possible. And there's there's what's called a back squat assessment, where they just basically get a dowel. They'll do um, ten repetitions, and there's a there's two cameras. There's one at the side, one at one at the back, or one at the front. And then you basically just record, and they do all the analysis afterwards. So really efficient in terms of getting the whole squad through. Uh, and that's your sort of um, your almost your fundamental movement in terms of um, that squat pattern, and then also a a tug jump assessment where it's more dynamic, where they're looking at that that more dynamic jumping ability, being able to land, being able to jump, um, obviously letting those knees knees become valgus. So again, same process in terms of camera the front, camera the side, get a whole squad through very quickly, do the analysis afterwards. So reasonably reasonably comprehensive in terms of for, for how quick you can get through it, and then moving on. Then we've actually. Just probably quite luckily, actually, at the same time, I wanted a measure of like technical ability um, where we could sort of grade players. And when I first came in, we were sort of grading players based on A, B, C, and D. Whereas we've actually, well, the management team have actually put quite a, an in-depth document in place where coaches will get it 
and then they'll be rated on various skills and various behaviors and that will then will then hopefully use that as part of their technical and tactical grading in terms of their football in terms of their football ability so actually throughout the year uh, when we grade them is is that is that is that that progression and then again is there a big difference between the, those Buckler boys and the evening boys yeah it's really interesting and i think tying in with some of that movement competition stuff and and going into some strength work would be good as well in terms of how you how that factors what you then program um mm-hmm. especially with the setup and and the, like we've talked about the logistics of have diff, having different different groups in at different times like how does that then factor and influence what you do in terms of programming the the strength programs for the boys yeah so our main gym session would be on that Thursday, Friday when they're actually in together. So on um, on a Thursday we'd have the 13s, 15s. Um, like I say, Friday would be 14s, 16s, and that'll be their main gym. That'll be their main gym session. So really trying to focus in on, in on that in on that movement quality. So always always trying to to move well first before we move heavy. Before we focus in on strength, um, and Basically, the way the way that I've sort of structured the the plan or the program is everyone will do the same in terms of the same movements from 13s up to 16s. But instead of being on like a movement matrix where you go from like level one, level two, level three, and you progress through them, because what I found was that if you spend too much time on level one, and then you spend another three or four weeks on level two, and then you and then and then it becomes like you have the same session week in week out and then almost almost it becomes like not that the effort goes but it becomes less of a challenge almost because it's like i know i'm doing i'm doing the same thing over and over again whereas so i wanted i wanted to keep more of almost more variability more variety so they could get that 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 breadth of challenge but also have some stability within the program so they can still focus on strength so for the 15 16 boys even for the 14s, to be honest, actually, if we're doing a trap bar deadlift, there isn't that much coaching involved. If we're doing like a, a goblet split squat, there isn't that much coaching involved. So picking exercises that, that are within that sort of squat, hinge, and lunge pan, actually, we'll keep them the same for four weeks and we'll, we'll strength monitor them first and then we'll strength monitor them after four weeks. So hopefully they improve, but then also then when we reintroduce the exercise, hopefully we've seen improvement in terms of their strength. But then on the other exercises, so if if we're following that sort of fundamental movement plan in terms of we've got our hinge, we've got our brace, we've got our, our squat pants, we've got our rotate. Um, the other five exercises within a session, so we'll, if we've got seven exercises every session, you've got you've got a lot of exercises to get through. So it's very fast. You're not There's no real standing around within a session. It, it's literally you're in and you're moving from one exercise to the other, to the other. And it's really fast paced and there's really high energy. So it, it, it's quite challenging in terms of that. But also every week, it's sort of a little bit different. So instead of just doing a push-up week after week after week, actually one week it might be an eccentric push-up. The next week it might be a, a decline push-up. It might be an incline push-up. It might be an explosive push-up onto blocks. It might be a dumbbell bench. It might be a barbell bench. It might be um, a med ball push. It might be a standing med ball push. It might be a single arm. It might be a double arm. So it's still a push movement, but actually it's just slightly different every single week. So you have that, that, that same constant of 
for example, four weeks, you might go, God, let's split squat. And every session, because it's, because it's quite an easy exercise in terms of the, the competency, you can really push that. But then on the other exercises, for example, let's say it's an RDL. Can you go dumbbell? Can you go barbell? Can you go single leg? Can you go, um, can you go sp split stance? Can you go good morning? So instead of like almost you, you get good at it, you get good at, at one exercise, you then move on to the next level. And then because you haven't done the other exercise in ages, you actually then almost forget what you're doing. So every session, I'm having to really dig deep and remember that movement plan because it's slightly different. It's a bit more of a challenge. It's, it's fun because it's different. Um, and actually, what we find is probably for the first two, two years, so under-13s, under-14s, there's a lot of coaching. Like, you're really engaged with the boys. But then once you get to sort of under-16, and we've been doing this for, I mean, I've been there about 18 months, but probably, probably for the last year we've been doing this. And the under 16s now, it doesn't matter what we really give it them, because they've had so much, so much variety in their experiences. Actually, there isn't that much coaching. Like we're just there to sort of facilitate, and boys are just going straight into their split squats, and it's like, okay, great, they're going straight into their split stance RDLs. Okay, great, they're good mornings. Okay, great. Like, so actually, they're getting, they're getting that strength in this, but they're also getting that variety of movement where they where they're getting challenged. It's, it's really interesting and a really important point, especially working with those ages, isn't it? Because, well, one thing is that we're still fighting against that bit of a battle that a lot of people don't want to be in there because it's it's just embedded in our sport. And I do think that is changing. Um, but also at that age, we've got to capture their attention, haven't we? Got to capture their attention and keep things engaging. And I think that does that. And, and you've got your theme then, haven't you? Like if you're doing a push exercise, exercise, does it really matter if it's a, a barbell one week, a dumbbell the next? Why? Probably not. We're still, we're still challenging the body in the same way, aren't we? But to them, it probably seems a completely different exercise being on a bench next to, a, um, well, being on a bench press next to a bench. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important discussion to have. And, and the fact that you're keeping the consistency as well with the, the, uh, bigger lifts or maybe the heavier ones, then you've got that trend and something that you're retesting then alongside it, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, I think as well, because, because you only get one main session, I think what, I, what I've tried to do more recently as well is try to actually space is trying to actually space that strength but across the week as well. So, okay, you've got that big strength on the end of the week, but actually on a on a Tuesday where we've got an underload session, actually, we're not going to do a lot of conditioning, but actually, can we use a little bit of time to do a little bit of maybe, maybe one exercise in the gym? So if we're doing, say, for example, the theme might be deceleration, it might be change direction. Um, on an intensive day, because the pitch, is, pitch size are a bit smaller, can we do something related to to that so it might be a goblet um lateral lunge iso and actually we do three sets of that it's it's very quick you're in the gym and and it almost progresses on from that theme in terms of what we do from our from our from our prep from our plyos into our sprint work into our con, into our contextual sprint work into the gym and then straight onto the pitch so actually they they're getting a strength in this throughout the week it's varied and and then when we're coming into that into that gym session as well, that there's no dead time because you only have one one main session with it with a squad. So you've 
you've got to really make the most of it. So when I get them in, we because it's new exercises, I'll demo every, every single exercise, every session. So they know what they're doing, all the coaching points. Um, and I think it sets the tone as well because I, I'm out front. I bring the energy to the session. They, I do demand for them to, be, to actually listen as well. I think, I think that, that, that perspective, if I'm at the front and I'm teaching you something, sometimes you'll get boys who are just they're laughing because it's, it's the end of the week, right? But for five minutes, can you listen to me? Can you actually pay attention? I'll help you. And then, and then from that, let's go and have fun. Let's go and lift. Let's be 100 miles an hour. Let's, um, um, and, and to be honest, let's go and enjoy the gym, right? Because actually, like, it, it should be a fun environment. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think certainly making sure that that time is as well spent as possible because, like I say, it is short, but actually when you use it well, half an hour can be really good. And I wanted to ask as well, when you're going through this programming um, for the boys and your thought process, like what are you pulling from your experience of your training and all the sort of disciplines that you've been through that you talked about before? Because obviously you've got so many physical attributes that you're training there and then you're bringing this creativity, this this variability to, to these sessions like, I don't know if I've just answered my own question there, but yeah. what, what sort of things are you pulling from from your history as, as an athlete? Yeah, I think that's that's good because almost like when I was an athlete doing the decathlon, no two days are the same. Like, yes, you've got, yes, you've got a plan, but actually there's so much to get through. There's so much training. There's so much technical work that you need to get through. Like, like realistically, realistically you, you need to be running every day. You need to be throwing every day. You need to be lifting weights every day. So there is a lot of variety in that. So I think just for myself, it was it was like, well, actually, like how, how, how can I bring some of that to my coaching as well? Um, and probably, and probably the biggest thing is probably competition. So when I was when I was competing, like I'm competing as myself really because if I'm if I'm training myself, if I'm coaching myself, actually, like every single day, I'm the one who's who's driving the session. Like I've got, I've, I've got my targets in the shot. Like, so it might be 14 meters for the day. Let's try and hit that. And then in the gym, how much can I lift? So really trying to push on that. And, and I think also working in other sports as well. So for example, if I'm working with rugby, like men's rugby, there's some absolute monsters in there. And when I was down um, in Loughborough, there's some absolute monsters in there. And coming into football, was, it was almost like not not disappointing, but like like I want to actually create some guys who are like re- not just into the gym, but like really good at the gym. So, but not even just the gym, like just like our our almost like sports science S and C testing. So, um, we've actually got some boys in in the under 15, 16s now who are getting like over, but our best score in the sixteens is just over four in the RSI. And then in the end 15s, we've got a boy who's actually doing 4.1. So actually really trying to get out of that almost competitive side and really try and really try and drive the sessions. I think a big part of the way that um, I coach is really bringing the energy, almost almost cheerleading the boys. So if we're doing some running outside, um, when, when we first came in, it was like coaches led the sessions and they would do like three minute mass runs. And everybody hates doing 
Everybody hates running, right? Everyone would, would much rather have a ball at their feet. And probably, probably I was quite probably quite inexperienced in terms of when I first came in, I was I was desperate to go everything into it. I was desperate, I was desperate everything to be with the ball, trying to work with the coaches. But as we saw those who the logistics are almost too difficult. There's too many things going on. There's you almost need, just need to focus in on on the real quality work first. And then you can sort of add in add in that complexity. So when I first came in, trying to dive into like GPS reports, trying to dive into like some of the metrics around high intensity um, running, and trying to trying to really trying to really incorporate stuff when probably wasn't the best time to. So with with the way that the football training works, they base that around the theme of the week. So it might be build, it might be possession, it might be uh, transition, it might be finishing, and if you're working on sort of high intensity sprint distance, it's quite difficult to get in, in some of these themes. Um, so for example, if we're working on a Wednesday, that's our extensive day. So bigger pitch sizes, bigger, bigger numbers, really trying to push those, those sort of speed metrics. It didn't really matter what we were doing in, in terms of the pitch sizes. It didn't really matter in terms of the numbers that we've come back. And I think a recent paper that one size fits all one didn't actually did did sort of show that it doesn't really matter what size pitch you've got those metrics aren't really going to come through so I tried to design drills that were that were almost shoehorned in a way like they're not really good enough from a football perspective they're not they're not as good as just doing isolated running from that perspective so you're almost like doing a little bit of both and it's it, you're almost like the, the football coach isn't isn't very happy because he's like we're doing a build session and then we're doing more of a transition um, drill because that's the only way that you can actually cover enough distance to actually get those metrics right. So actually transferring to more of the isolated drills and then getting the players to buy in, actually getting them to understand why we're doing it, actually getting them to 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 really work hard as well and actually enjoy working hard. Um. When I first came in, they used to be like, are we doing mass runs today? Ah, why? I hate them. Whereas now, like, I don't know how, but they love it. And it's, it's like, things just like, like repeated sprints, short, like short intervals, they don't mind. They don't mind too much, but their favorite session is actually the intensive tempo. So bringing that from my athletics background, actually covering it a decent distance. So working for about 10 seconds but then getting a decent rest as well. So work, so having that sort of 50 seconds off and then going again, or was that within about sort of 15 minutes, I was able to get like 800 meters of high intensity distance, about 300 meters of sprint distance. Um, so it's super efficient. Boys absolutely love it because they're, because they're running fast and actually because they're getting that rest period as well, they're, um, they're recovering. So it doesn't really affect them too much for the session. Um, Coach is happy because it's fast. And then I'm happy because I'm getting all those metrics as well. So um yeah, just just taking a bit of time almost to to not do everything at once. Try and get quality first. Um and then when you are doing it, really, really try and get the players to buy in. Brilliant. David, there's been some quality stuff in there. So I, I really appreciate you. Um, delving into some of those topics and I, I, there's still stuff that we, we said we we're going to cover and I knew we wouldn't get it all in but 
I really appreciate you doing it. But I just wanted to finish with a few questions that we've had on other episodes and um, just just to wrap things up. So who, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Is there any sort of names that stand out for you? Um, my dad's probably, probably first and foremost, the biggest. Um, he coached me up, up, up until I was 18. Um, he, um, he was in the RAF. He was a, um, he was a long distance runner for a long time, to be honest, and then stumbled into the decathlon through, through his work. And then I sort of did, I did other sports when I was younger, but he was a real driver in me doing, uh, doing athletics, getting into, getting into the decathlon and then, and then helped me achieve what I achieved um, as an athlete. So he was probably the biggest influence. And then I've had other coaches going up, probably, probably what I take a lot from them is, is things that I shouldn't do in terms <laughs> of like, I've turned up sessions and, and these are like big, important coaches and they've been on the phones. Like yeah. I'm in the middle of a session and they're like, and they're on the phone and they're not there because they've got other stuff to do. And it's like, if you, like, if I'm coaching someone, they demand all my attention. They demand all the energy, all the passion, all the effort that, that uh, has brought me to that role. So when I'm there, that's what I'm there for. Um, so, yeah. Now we said we were going to talk about like building culture and without actually mentioning that word, I think we've covered it anyway, because I think, what you've just said then um, and what you talked about with you asking the boys to concentrate for the five minutes before going into the session, listening to what you're saying, I think those are two really important bits of experience, aren't they? Because we know that if you have been on the other side and the coach hasn't been 100% on it, you're not 100% on it, are you, as a, as a player yeah. or an athlete? And I think it's important doing what you're doing, showing the players you care um, and that you're you're there 100%, you're not elsewhere, there's some real value in that, isn't there? So without even talking about culture and using that phrase, that is essentially what habits like that are, are building, isn't it, in that environment? Yeah, and and I've got one example now. So this week on Wednesday, our extensive day, we had some mass runs planned in, but the boys, they actually came to me and said, like, we've actually got a really busy week. So... We had a discussion before the session. They said we've got we've got Celtic on Sunday, we've got uh, tournament done in Fleetwood on Monday. That we've then got SFA trials on Tuesday and Wednesday. So actually, like we've got a really big week ahead. So they were like, "Are we doing mass runs?" I was like, first off, we're hundred percent doing them, but actually, we don't need to do them three of them flat out." So I gave them the sort of option. I said, "Previously, what we've done is we've gone easy one first. We've gone the middle one." really, really hard, and we've done the last one easy. So we're still doing three. That, that's not negotiable, but actually the way we do them, how would you like to do it? And instantly they're like, yeah, sounds great. Sounds really good. And then for that, that middle one, I'm on them. But the other two, chill. And uh, like instantly, instantly they're on board. They feel like they're, like they're a part of the process. They've got, got some autonomy in, in actually what they're doing. And then hopefully come to the games, we're managing their load in terms of it's not just me getting them to to go through sessions. It's actually like a joint decision where we're working together. Brilliant. And then what would you say your biggest strength is as a coach? I think I think probably energy. Yeah. I think I think energy and, and probably probably competitiveness. I think um competitiveness probably probably more so I think 
it was actually funny. One of the other PhD um, students at Rangers, she she leads the under 19 girls and works with the first team, Faye Bennett. She actually said to me, I don't know why she said it, but she said, you're one of the most competitive people I know. And I said, no, <laughs> I'm the most competitive person that you know. <laughs> so <laughs> probably that. <laughs> That's good. Brilliant. Just finally then, mate, to wrap things up, I always ask people about CPD, about continued learning. What's your approach? Like, how do you go about continually getting improving yourself as a practitioner? Yeah, um, probably probably a mix of a few things. So I've been down a f- to a few places. I, I try and see people in person. So, for example, when I when I was um, in my second year of uni, um, a guy called Paul Parker, he actually he was working with the West Ham ladies first team, and I was working with. Newcastle ladies first team at the time he came in and did a and, and did a must have been a four hour lecture two hour two hour um, theory two hour practical and I was actually really impressed with him I just thought like everything you're saying is like bang on spoke to him afterwards it was, I was like would you mind me coming down to to London to come and to come see you work and um, I was actually there for I was actually there for a week so I went down went down to West Ham was in that was in that sort of environment, just sort of did the basic jobs, just in terms of hand, hand, you know, water balls and stuff. But just just being in and around that environment was was massive for me to actually see how people, not just talk about what they do, actually see what they're actually doing, see how they're interacting players, and that was a big learning curve for me. Um, other ones are just generally just on on Twitter, using YouTube as a sort of educational resource. So people are always posting papers on there. Um, webinars throughout lockdown and so on and then the other one will probably be just listen to books as well so big fan of audible um probably the best book that i've listened to recently was one by chrissy wellington i can't remember the title but she's basically like a an iron man triathlete and and her life was like just like wow incredible so yeah one of those books where i was like completely captivated brilliant mate like i said before some top top information in there so i hope everyone's enjoyed that that was absolutely brilliant david thank you for coming on and um, just wrap us up where can people follow you where where would you direct them to keep up to date with what's going on yeah probably probably twitter and and linkedin probably my biggest ones um i'm on instagram but not a massive uh, not a massive poster to be honest uh, but yeah twitter twitter and and, uh, and linkedin perfect david thank you very much mate enjoy the rest of your day Thanks very much. Cheers, man. Absolutely brilliant stuff by David. I've really enjoyed that chat with him. Um, Really top guy. First conversation I've had with him. And like I say, at the start of the podcast, um, this is the reason why I do wanted to set this podcast up and why we do it is because it gets conversations like this going that probably wouldn't happen otherwise. So it was great to catch up with him. So David, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate your time um, and the sort of things that you've gone through on the podcast as well. I think there's loads um, of takeaways. Just go and check David out. He's over on Twitter at DAVGuest. One of the first things that jumped out for me was when he talked about saying yes to opportunities and the fact that he clocked up so so many coaching hours. I think that's something young practitioners need to do is work with different demographics. We talked about in the episode, different ages, um, different genders, different sports, but also different industries. Like he talks about being at the building merchants and um, creating relationships with different people. Like there's so much value in that. 
And you might have a goal of, of wanting to end up wherever it is, but see, see, try and seek out opportunities where they're going to give you certain skill sets because I'm sure there's plenty of things that David does and, and everyone listening to this podcast as well, you do day to day that weren't just created from your education or from the role that you're in right now. So have a think about that. And especially younger coaches, that, that's a great bit of advice from David as well. He spoke about some of his lessons from sales as well. And whether we like it or not, we are, we are salesmen or women to our players, to our coaches, to, to peers. Because yes, we're not trying to financially sell something as a trade for money, but it might be something like David talked about where he's getting his players to focus and concentrate in the gym session. We're trying to sell the benefits of what we're trying to do with those players. Um, we're trying to sell them the benefits to show them why they need to pay attention and put the effort in. So there's definitely techniques that will be used by people within sales that we can take plenty from as well. Um, and then the other thing that he talked about, which which uh, I think I sort of put words in his mouth, which I didn't mean to towards the end, was when I asked him about lessons from his sport, where there's such variety in, in a sport like that, that did, what did that sort of influence his programming with his strength programming? Um, and working with that age group of like 13s to 16s, I think he said, giving players variety, giving them different challenges. So if we have got a push exercise, does it always have to be just a push up? Can we be creative? Can we set different challenges, slightly different movements, different bits of kit? And will that engage them a little bit more? Um, so yeah, some, some really good stuff there from David. I really appreciate him coming on and doing it. Just a quick one before I let you go. Will you please head over to iTunes, leave us a review. We've got a few on there already, but I'd really appreciate a few more on there as well. Um, click the five stars and then just mention maybe a few of the people that you've enjoyed the most um, that have been on the podcast or maybe some of the topics we've covered as well. And then if you listen on Spotify, you can leave a, a review on Spotify now as well. It's just, it, you don't do anything written. It's just clicking the five stars. But if you could do that, I really would appreciate it and it, and it helps support the podcast as well. So thank you again for listening. I appreciate everyone listening to the podcast and supporting and feeding back like you do all the time. And I will be back next week with episode 186.